We're going to transition our young people, ages K through 5th grade. Miss Whitney's going to lead them back, and they are going to have an experience tailored to them. Of course, we have nursery care available for those who are younger. Of course, all children are welcome to stay throughout the entirety of worship. As we transition, uh, I don't know how long ago, was it maybe six weeks ago, we introduced a survey called Towards 2012, or 2013, excuse me, Towards New Life 2013, uh, a survey, the hopes of which is to try to get a sense of where we as a congregation feel God is calling us into the future. Um, we've gotten a few of them. We would like as many as, uh, as much input as possible. Uh, it is online. You can fill it out electronically. Not many of you have done that. So I know now the holidays are wrapping up. Be a great opportunity to do that. But I did bring some paper ones. I'm going to actually put them back there by the coffee. If at any time during the worship service, you would like to... Actually, I'm just going to give it to Steve and he can pass them around. <coughs> and if during the sermon, you would like to fill one out, that would be more than appropriate. I'll just assume you're taking notes. <coughs> Excuse me. I can, I can hear, right? Yes. So, uh, please, and, and again, this is what we really, really want to hear from you. Um, we have heard from several people, great, great responses, um, but we want to hear from as many of you as possible. Tonight we begin um, a new series, and I'm excited about this. As we uh, do this, let's uh, pray. And we will enter into the second time, or second part of our worship experience, the forming time. So let us join together in prayer. You can stop passing the surveys around while we're praying. It's probably just good form. Lord, we invite your spirit upon us now. We ask that you enter our hearts as we hear your story, the story of the covenant that you made with Abram. Open it to us now. Fill our hearts with your grace and love that we may truly feel part of this great story. We pray these things in your holy name. Amen. Well, I want to welcome you all once again to New Life United Methodist Church and to the second part of our worship experience, the forming time. also want to welcome all of those joining us uh, online and all of those joining us through our podcast weekly. I'm Mark Myers, the pastor here at New Life, and tonight we begin our series, Covenant and Kingdom, the DNA of the Bible. I, I spent a lot of time this week drawing that beautiful cover art, so um, you're welcome. It's, it's not lying, as I've said many times, it's just varnishing the truth. <clears throat> varnishing the truth. I'm Irish, I can do that. Generally speaking, as people, we like to focus on details. For example, when we meet someone, we don't um, envision them as an entire person. We take notice of their appearance, their actions, their demeanor. When we make our New Year's resolutions, how many have done that? We try to be very specific. I want to lose 30 pounds this year. I'm 
going to finally get my dream job. I'm going to write that novel I'm always talking about. We do the same thing with the Bible. We focus in on specific verses and sometimes miss the big picture. Over the next six weeks, we're going to look at the big picture of the Bible. And that big picture is DNA. As humans in all life forms, we have this double helix macromolecule running through every cell in our body. It's a wonderful, beautiful thing. It's information, biology all wrapped into one. Now, the Bible also has DNA, two intertwining themes, the two and and really only two intertwining themes that we're going to look at over this next six weeks, covenant and kingdom, which is why the series is called Yeah, I'm glad some of you figured that out. That is the story of Scripture. It is a story of covenant and kingdom, a story of relationship and responsibility. Covenant is about relationship, about two things becoming one. In this case, our relationship with God. Kingdom is about responsibility, what it is that is expected of us because of that covenant relationship. Covenant is about relationship or being who we are. Kingdom is about responsibility or doing what we do. Today we're going to focus on covenant. If you have your Bibles with you, you may open them to Genesis chapter 15. Um, We're going to actually look through from Genesis 12 up through about 22, but uh, right now, Genesis 15. And we're going to look at the story of Abraham and Sarah, although at this point in the story, they're not called Abraham and Sarah, they're called Abram and Sarai. We'll get to that later. Abram was a good guy. I know that because God thought he was a good guy. And in chapter 12, verse 1, God tells him, go from your country, leave your people and your father's household to the land that I will show you. And Abram did just that. A little later, God talked to him and God made him a promise. In Genesis 13, 15, he said, All the land that you see, I will give to you, and I will give them to your offspring forever. Sounds pretty good. Now we come to Genesis 15, chapter 1. Fear not, Abraham, the Lord says. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Again, those are all really good things to hear from God. Because remember a few weeks ago, God said some pretty scary things to Mary and Joseph and all, you know, all kinds of different people. Good things, but scary things. Nothing scary about this. I'm your shield and your reward, your offspring are going to be multiple. Great. But there was one tiny little problem. You see, God kept telling Abram that he was going to be the father of a great nation. It's nice, right? Unless you don't have any kids. And that wouldn't be a problem if, let's say, Abram and Sarai were in their 20s, let's say even 30s. 
40s. I know. I'm just saying, let's be nice. Let's be optimistic. But Abram and Sarah were in their late 90s. I'm not sure how many of you are in your late 90s, but I'm guessing um, that if any of you get there, you're not going to want to start a family. So finally, Abraham's doing the math. He says, okay, I'm going to be a father of a great nation. Wait a minute. And he gets up the nerve to ask God. This is in uh, chapter 15, 8. Sovereign God, sovereign and shield are the same words, kind of a cool wordplay if you read ancient Hebrew. What can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. Okay? Abraham has the courage to say to God, listen, you keep telling me I'm going to be the father of a great nation, but you've maybe not realized there aren't any little Abrams running around. And this dude from Damascus is going to inherit all my stuff. See, back in that day, bartering was a way of life. And Abram's seen if God's up for a little negotiation. God says, no, this man won't be your heir. But a son coming from your own body, he will be your heir. Now, Abram believed God. He was a good guy. He trusted people. He trusted God. But he needed something a little firmer than a handshake. He needed something only a covenant could give him. Now, that word is meaningless today, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But in Abram's time, covenant was a powerful, powerful word. It meant that what was being said, what God was saying, would become secure. It would have a sense of permanency. And that happens when a covenant was formed. Now, a covenant's not just a contract. It's not just an agreement. In a covenant, two things become one. And I'm not just saying that metaphorically. The two parties in a covenant relationship give up their independent identities and they take on new identities tied to one another. I mean, we have no concept of this kind of relationship. It's symbolized in the death of a substitute, generally an animal sacrifice, and it's sealed in blood. The sacrifice, and this is disgusting but cool, the, the, the animals are, are cut in two and put out one on each side to make kind of a canal. It, right? Well, the best part's coming. The blood, cause th- these aren't drained. The blood from the animals then drips into the middle and flows. It's disgusting. It, it gets worse. The two parties then are on each side One party walks through the entrails and the other party walks through the other side and they exchange places. It's basically a rebirthing. It's a bloody animal rebirth. The the blood is actually, literally, the canal is a birth canal and you are being reborn. 
I mean, they are not messing around when they're talking about a covenant. It's pretty great, right? Yeah, anybody want to do that? Let's get going. So now the two, now the deal is done, two become one. Now the last vestige of covenant making in our society is, what? <coughs> I, I, I was going to say marriage, but um, handshake. <laughs> mm-hmm. It works up to a covenant. The, the bloody carcasses come later. <coughs> the, the, real, the real last uh, kind of uh, thing that we could call a covenant in our society is marriage. And, and let's face it, for most people, it's really not that kind of covenant. It's not <coughs> that um, extreme. But in, in, in an ideal situation... The independence of two individuals is given up and they find themselves in a new relationship, sharing a common identity that will, uh, they will share forever. They share the name, they share a family, they share a home, they share a bank account. I know not everybody does that, but I'm just saying that's kind of the example of covenant. So that is what Abraham is looking for as he's bartering with God. He's looking for a covenant. So now the moment comes in Genesis 15, 9. God says to Abram, bring me a heifer and a goat and a ram. This is getting good. Each three years old, along with a dove and a pigeon. Now, God's not joking around. Surely a heifer would have been enough, right, for a covenant. But God gets all of these creatures together because we're going to have a lot of meat at this particular barbecue. It, well, they've got to eat it sometime, right? No? Okay. Oh, we'll just move on from that. So this is not... <laughs> <laughs> probably doesn't help the appetite, very truthfully. No. So this is what, exactly what Abram wants to hear. He gathers the animals, he separates them, he walks through the sacrifice, his old life, and he's about to seal his side of the covenant when he's surrounded by darkness and he falls into a deep sleep. Abraham hears God speak and he sees a fire pot, which is how they continued to you know, start fires. They had a little fire pot and it had burning embers in it. And they kept that burning so they could start fires. And a blazing torch in his dream, in his vision, he sees that cross, the path he had just crossed, signifying to him that God, too, was making this covenant. Abraham made the journey. God made the journey. Two had become one. Now, that is pretty awesome. Think about it. I, I think we get it for Abram, who wasn't, wouldn't want to be in a uh, covenant with God. But think what that means for God. How could the God of the universe, the God who created all things, give up his life, his identity, for Abram? Doesn't that just kind of blow your mind? God is willing to give up his identity as an individual God, even triune, to become one with Abram. How could God be so committed to Abram that he's prepared to die for him? Well, this is a process of dying and resurrection. Do you see maybe where this is going? The God who created the universe, willing to lay his life down to become united, to become one with humanity? Right here, almost at the very beginning of Scripture, God is making 
a lasting and forever covenant with humanity. Spoiler, Abraham would have children, and he would be a father of a great nation, and we are part of that. God is giving up his independence and bringing and binding himself to humanity, to us. God is making a covenant with each and every one of us in this story. Abraham would be the first, but there would be many more. And I want to be real clear about what this covenant means. What it really, really means. Everything that God has, all of God's resources, all of God's things, all of God's person is now yours. That's what a covenant relationship was in Abram's time. All of the party's resources, everything they owned, everything they had the power to do was now at the beck and call of the other party. And now you have complete freedom to talk to God about whatever God is doing. Because God's decisions are your decisions and your decisions are God's decisions. That's the extremity of the covenant. And we look over it very, very uh, kind of blasé. But God wasn't choking around. And Abram wasn't choking around. So I want to present a couple questions to you for you to discuss here among each other. The first question is, what covenants have you made, if any, in your life? Were they lasting covenants? So talk about that for a second. very lucky, Todd. Thank you. Thank you. So discuss that for a few minutes. All right, the next question as we move into the next part of our discussion. Do you consider yourself in a covenant relationship with God? If so, what does that mean for you? And what does it mean for God? So discuss that for a couple minutes.
Hopefully that has um, spurred some good things to talk about during the week. We'll uh, continue on as we uh, try to unpack this a little bit more. Now, Abram and Sari tried to meddle in the covenant. God said, you will have a son. God said, let's do this covenant thing. And two chapters later, Sari convinces Abram to have a child by her servant. And his name is Ishmael, and he's the kind of progenitor of the Muslim faith. And so that's a whole mess. I mean, let's face it. It's been causing problems for several centuries. And it has. It's, been, it's a lot of problems. But that was not the promise of the covenant. So in Genesis chapter 17, if you have your Bibles with you, when Abram is 99 years old, there's no baby yet, 99 years old, God says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithless, faithful and blameless. Now why does God say that? Because Abram screwed up. But God is reminding Abram to allow his identity, which, remember, is a new covenant identity with God, to be reflected by his behavior. Now, this can be a hard concept to, to kind of wrap our heads around, but hopefully not too difficult. You cannot put behavior before identity. You cannot do enough good things to prove yourself to God. You can't prove that, God, I'm a child of of you and I'm going to do these these different things to prove it. You do good things because of your identity as a child of God. You are a reflection of your identity. Now, I was raised in a good home by good people and I grew up in good churches. I'm going to go to one of them tomorrow. Well, actually tonight, but preaching at one of them tomorrow. And I tried to do good things, but generally speaking, I failed. Now, I didn't screw my life up to uh, the, the extent that it caused me any lasting pain. But I did things that ultimately were pretty poor. Pretty poor as a person, pretty poor in my relationship with other people. Now, the reason for that was I didn't have an identity to call my own. Remember young people, or maybe, maybe even uh, yourself as a young person, we, we have this sense of trying to find ourselves. Well, that's actually pretty good. We need to understand who we are. The problem is we tend to find ourselves in the wrong places and and, and try to give ourselves the wrong identity. Now, when I was 20, I found Christ, and I've told that story many times, and I have an identity as a child of God. And that's reflected, hopefully, in my behavior. Because I know I have that identity as a child of God, I know how to act, and, and the Bible helps with that too. And now, there's a, there's a thing that I had to do in seminary which kind of brought this home. It's kind of on, on the same topic, and, and you can do it too if you really want to. Uh, one of my first years in seminary, everyone in one of our classes had to go out and buy a clerical. You, you all know what a clerical is? It's a button-up shirt, kind of like this. Uh, it can be all kinds of different colors, though. And it has a white collar in it. Generally speaking, Roman Catholic priests wear them. Technically, Protestants started that. That was our thing. The Roman Catholics stole it. We tried to steal it back, and then we gave it up because they were doing it. Again, we, we didn't even need Ishmael to cause problems. We got plenty of problems just working with ourselves. 
But that is, that is something a lot of my colleagues wear clericals. I own one. Obviously, that's part of the story. And, and really, any of you could wear one because we are part of the priesthood of all believers. So our assignment was not only to buy this clerical, but wear it around everywhere we went for about a month. And it became apparent to me as I was walking down the street, as I was driving through Chicago traffic on my way to school, as I was at the bar in my local town. That's where ministry happened in Maple Park, by the way. It became apparent that people, besides me, were now aware of my identity. Now, it meant different things for different people. Some of my colleagues were actually spit at or uh, abused verbally or hopefully not physically, but took some abuse. And it does take more than a collar to become a child of God. But it really helped me become more self-aware. That yes, other people were looking at me as a priest, and that means I should act a certain way. Now hopefully, you think of that as yourself, as a person, as a child of God. That you are a reflection of God on high. Now you can do that. You can go buy a clerical. You can order one online. Go to cokesbury.com. And you can walk around and see if that works for you. You may not want to do that, actually, but it's, a, it's available. I'm just making it it's available if anybody wants to do that. We'll do a video about it. It will be a lot of fun, I'm sure. So as we connect with our identity, we become that which is consistent to that identity. We begin to show our Father's eyes we begin to reveal our Father's face. We begin to do things as if we were the very hands and feet of God Almighty. We walk the way that God walks. We talk the way that God talks. And as we grow closer to God, we become a brighter reflection. That's part of the process of growing as Christians that we believe in. We call it sanctification. That's the fancy word. The Lord comes to Abram saying, I've come to make good on my covenant. God takes the covenant that they made and makes it even deeper. Now, this is great. This is all about identity and what God does when we come into covenant relationship with God. In chapter 17, verse 5, God says, No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. Now, this is, again, we can pass right over this verse. A lot of us probably have read this verse or, or heard it or knew, yeah, Abraham becomes, or Abram becomes Abraham. It's a thing. But this is vitally important. Once again, God is doing something really amazing. The, the kind of thing only God can do. In ancient Hebrew, there are no vowels written down. You, you have to have vowels to speak. But there are no vowels written in ancient Hebrew. It makes a very difficult to read if you don't know ancient Hebrew. It's very difficult to read anyway. But. So the name of God, the name we pronounce Yahweh, but has like 650 pronunciations that are used, is written Y-H-W-H. And of course, ancient Hebrew looks more like kind of Sanskrit, more symbols. But Y-H-W-H. 
God takes one of those H's and places it in Abram's name. So Abram becomes Abraham. You got that? (laughs) Yes, that's kind of an inside joke, though. And that's not about that later. He also places one of those H's in Sarai's name. So Sarai becomes Sarah. Because of this addition, the meaning of Abram's name actually changes. Abram, which means exalted father, becomes Abraham, father of many nations. Now, Abraham and Sarai had new identities. The covenant was sealed, this time by circumcision. It's a story we won't get into in detail. So Abraham got a new name and had the scar to prove it. Try not to think about it. Because he was 99. I mean... Yeah, it's, it's messed up. It is a little, little awful. I just try not to visualize that. Now, you have to wonder if God, who was the covenant partner, also received a new name and also received a lasting scar. Now, that's something to think about, which we will get to later, several weeks from now. But God did keep his promise. Abraham and Sarah had a son, and that son's name was Isaac. Isaac would be the heir to Abraham, the heir that he needed for that covenant to be lasting. Because remember, God is eternal. God is never dying, never ending. But Abraham, even though he was 100 at this point, he would eventually die. He needed a son to carry on his tradition, an heir to carry on his tradition, to carry on this covenant. But a covenant is a two-way street. Abraham receives all the blessings from God and all the resources his covenant partner had, but it also means God receives all of the resources that Abraham had. It means God received all the blessings that his covenant partner had. So when Abraham is called upon by God to give up the one identifiable object in his life, Abraham, having received everything from the bounty and generosity of God, is able to do so unblinking. In Genesis chapter 22, God says to Abraham, Take your son, your only son, the one who you love. His name is Isaac in case Abraham had forgotten the first three times. And go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain that I will show you. Now what is the the greatest and most precious thing in Abraham's life? He was an old man by this point. Well over a hundred years old. His greatest resource was Isaac, his only son the one whom he loved, which God kept reminding him. But like I said earlier, in a covenant relationship, what was Abraham's was God's, and what was God's was Abraham's. So Abraham didn't think twice when he was asked this horrible thing. We, we see this 
as cruel and unusual, and we don't understand why a loving God would ask such a weird thing or do su- such a, just something that seems so, so wrong. But Abraham never saw it that way. Abraham realized this was a covenant relationship. And Isaac was not just his. Isaac was also God's. And God could do with Isaac whatever he desired. So Abraham says, yes, Lord. Now God spares Isaac in the end, and the covenant would continue, although over the years it gets modified and renewed and changed up a little bit. It expands, I guess is the best way to say it. The covenant grows. But it all starts right here, in the very beginning, between a bunch of dead carcasses. But the covenant continues today. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you become part of this covenant. You become an heir to the kingdom of God. You become a child of God. Hopefully you now understand maybe a little bit more why I do not consider every living person a child of God. Because not everybody's involved in this covenant. And this covenant is a big, big deal. Because when you sign up, you are getting everything that God has. But God is also getting everything you have. We don't always like what that means. We give up an old life to embrace a new life. A shared oneness with the Lord God Almighty. Christians used to even change their names. They had a Christian name because they realized they were part of this covenant, something we have gotten away from. Now, Scripture is the story of the covenant God makes with each and every one of us. It's the story of giving up, giving up a meaningless existence, of constantly trying to find ourselves, to have a solid identity, to become a new creation, to be joined as one with God, as His children. Heirs to the kingdom of heaven. And everything God has is at our disposal. John chapter 15, verse 16, Jesus says, Ask for whatever you will in my name, and it will be given to you. It's a pretty good deal. But God reminds us that this covenant goes both ways. If we are really invested in covenant, we have to be one in it. So the question we have to ask ourselves in this series, Covenant and Kingdom, is are we really willing to give up our old lives to take on new life? He asked everything of Abraham. Everything Abraham had, God asked of him. And God asks everything of us. Accepting this covenant means embracing the cross, dying with Christ upon that cross, so that we can be joined with God in the resurrection. This week we lost a dear brother, Curtis Casting, Bubba, as we affectionately called him. And Bubba, as he gave his testimony here this summer, lived a life of trying to find himself. But God didn't hold him accountable to the compiling of mistakes he made, the self-destruction he brought upon himself. 
God accepted him with open arms because in the last few years of his life, he joined this covenant, gave up his old life, and took on a new life. And so as we continue and as we mourn the loss of our dear friend, I ask that we put him as an example of what it means to give up an old meaningless existence and take on the everlasting new life God has to offer us. Amen. I do encourage you, if you have questions, if you have insights, if you're reading this week and you'd like to learn more, we do extend this time uh, into a time of questions and discussion on Wednesday night at 5.30 in something we call form. <coughs> Excuse me. We have books available. I completely brought, forgot them in, in doing everything else tonight. But I do have them available. Uh, there's a book that goes with this um, six weeks study. It's very, very good, very, very insightful. Um, you certainly don't have to have the book or read it to come on Wednesday night. No, we really just want yourself um, and, and what you bring. Uh, but this is a great resource. Uh, I do have about 10 hard copies. Uh, they're not with me tonight, but you can grab one during the week or on Wednesday night when you come. But they're also available on uh, Kindle e-reader. The book is called Covenant and Kingdom, the DNA of the Bible by Mike Breen. Is, and, and it looks just like this. Just like that. So uh, consider doing that. Consider coming on Wednesday night. That will be a wonderful, wonderful time um, for us to really delve into what covenant and kingdom is all about. Let's transition now to our forwarding time, uh, the time of praise and worship that we uh, come together and just join in our hearts with God and celebrating all the gifts God has given to us. Uh, we do that by starting with prayer. Uh, we do that um, by taking up our gifts and offering. Um, having some financial transformation here in the next uh, few weeks, hopefully, uh, as we take over our financial um, responsibilities. I'm not exactly sure how that's going to look yet. I'm meeting with uh, conference officials on Monday to try to figure out what they would like us to do since we don't exist as a church, technically. Um, how we can, um, we, we're not a chartered United Methodist Church, um, so we, uh, we don't technically uh, have our own kind of status. Um, so we have to figure out how to do things like open a checking account and all that kind of stuff. Um, but we are working on that, um, and hopefully by the end of this week we will have some concrete answers from the powers on high for how to do that. Um, but remember, we are um, uh, still taking uh, offering and still um, being responsible with it. Um, the staff has used all of last year's money um, to buy like the next three, four months worth of resources um, so that we can get by without, um, you know, until we figure all this stuff out. Um, so thank them for the good work that they do and the uh, foresight that they have in using your resources uh, and being good stewards of the money that we take in. Uh, so let us now join into a time of prayer. Eternal God, Almighty Father, our covenant partner, be with us now. Help us truly embrace our new identity as your children. Help us be your hands and feet. Help us be your mouthpiece. Help us be your ears. Help us be your heart. And to love all with the heart that you have. We ask a blessing tonight on all of those who are lost. 
those who are alone, those who are searching, those who are suffering. We ask that you help us with compassion and mercy. Reach out to them. We ask your healing hand on all of those who are sick, all of those dealing with long-term disease, chronic pain. Help us be your healing hands. We ask that you be with all leaders, leaders of our world, the leaders of this nation, leaders of our community, and the leaders of our church. We ask that no matter what, you help them lead as servants, you help them lead us towards your kingdom. Be with all of those who serve. Be with our military men and women, our firefighters, our police officers, those who are out tonight making our streets clear and our roadways safe. Be with all those who risk their own life for us and our lives. But be with those who serve in ways we neglect, ways we overlook, those who serve us at our favorite restaurant, those who our cashiers where we shop, those who work on our lawns and gardens, those who assist us in many things. Help us be servants to them. Lord, most of all, we ask that you be with your church, that you be with each one here and all of our friends and family, that you fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you set our hearts on fire, that you give us passion for this ministry. Be with your one holy apostolic Catholic church. The church we all share in. Bring us together in all that we do. That even if we believe differently, even if we're of different denominations, say different creeds, we can be united in your son Jesus Christ. And we ask that you be with new life. As we search for our own identity, as we search for independence, as we deal with unforeseen foes, as we deal with future conflict, as we celebrate future success, through all of it, bring us closer together, closer to your Son, Jesus Christ, and closer to our community. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.